free fart sound. You're welcome. That was <laughs> welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is October 22nd, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Andre Nazri. And I'm Emily. Summer! You no, know what it not. is? What? We're fast approaching Halloween. <gasps> Woo! Next week ish. So um, I know that you can't, but if you could, <laughs> what would you dress up as? I don't know, man. I'm like preparing for all the Squid Game costumes, but like, you know, it's going to be, you know, a lot, which is fair. What should I dress up as? What has terrified me for the past two years? Oh, elephant in the room. Might be the pandemic, but I'm not sure. Yeah, so like uh, dress up as a ball with like crowns points sticking out. Yeah, maybe that. Or like, I don't think there's been like a, 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 a safe Halloween since the pandemic began that mm-hmm. um, people have, have, have dressed up as that. Or maybe mm. it's just too early, but I'm sure it'll happen. Right. Or oh, the other the other um, idea was, you know, how about an anti-vaxxer? Like there's just a lot of clothing inspiration from, you know, one of those Jordan Klepper videos where he goes and interviews people at all these like right wing rallies. Yeah. Ah, oh, fun. And um, to top it all off, you should uh, you, you have like spoons sticking to the sweat <laughs> on your forehead. Hell yeah. From a man painting artwork with his PP to alien worshippers in Bangkok. Coconuts TV brings you wacky and impactful documentaries from across the region. Don't miss out. Head down to our Coconuts TV YouTube channel to subscribe and enjoy. In our top stories for the week, we start off in Bali where, oof, we kind of break down in numbers the casualties and damages from last Saturday's 4.8 magnitude quake in Bali's Karangasam Regency. Oh my god. Mm. But yeah, at least three people were killed and hundreds of houses were badly damaged after the 4.8 magnitude earthquake struck Bali's Karangasam Regency last Saturday, with authorities on the island now able to disclose the devastating numbers after tallying up casualties and damages from the disaster. Indonesia's Meteorological, Climatological and Geophysical Agency, also known as BMKG, said the quake struck at a depth of 10 kilometers, 8 kilometers northwest of Karangasam at 4.18 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Oh my god. So a report published by Karang Asim's Regional Disaster Mitigation Agency, also known as the BPBD, said that at least 243 houses were heavily damaged in the area, while at least 300 houses sustained minor damages and three others were moderately damaged. Some 21 Palingi, which are also sacred Balinese Hindu shrines, and two temples were reportedly heavily damaged as a result of the quake, while one temple saw minor damages. Yeah, so a lot of stuff was and buildings were damaged in the earthquake, and officials have yet to quantify the financial losses from the material damages. Uh, one person in Karangasam was reportedly killed in the earthquake, while six people were seriously injured and 69 others suffered minor injuries. So other than Karangasam, nearby Bangli Regency also saw structural damages from the quake, including 26 houses that suffered heavy damages and nine that were moderately damaged. Public facilities that were impacted, including one village office and one puskismas, uh, which is a community clinic, among others, as reported by the Bangli BPBD office. So two people were reportedly killed in Bangli, while two people were seriously injured and five others sustained minor injuries. The BPBD office reported that five families, amounting to 19 people, had to evacuate their homes. So damage was reported in three villages in the Kintamani district, namely Trunyan village, Abang Batu Dinding village, and Abang Songan village. And BPBD in Karangasam and Bangli have set up tents for residents whose houses were destroyed in the earthquake. Oh my gosh. 
hope everybody's yeah, okay. Really, yeah. And really puts a lot of things into perspective in Bali, you know, like mm. oh, we're, all the talk was all about the um, uh, reopening to international tourists. Yeah. But like, you know, there's way more to Bali than um, there's like literally millions of people living there. And then, yeah. So all, all, hopefully they all recover mm-hmm. from this. Okay. And in Bangkok, you a fan of Russell Crowe, Summer? I mean, sure. He's there, you know, the same he way may- Brad Pitt's there. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you, you remember know. him from such hits as Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Anyway, this dude by the name of Russell Crowe declares a giant Bangkok lizard his new buddy. How cute is that? <laughs> so yeah, the man who took the who took on the Roman army as a gladiator and entranced the world with his beautiful mind has fallen for one of Thailand's most reviled uh, slash celebrated animals. The monitor lizard. Oh my god, I fucking hate those things. See, no, you have those in Singapore, right? Like, oh yeah, Komodo dragons are cute as hell, right? Because um, I don't know, maybe because they're far away for me. But <laughs> the monitor lizard, um, they they they're like in every little like sewage pipes and everything, right? And and where I live, and Ooh. when they and the, and they tend to die because they fight each other a lot. I don't know, but they That's tend nice. to die in the fucking sewage pipes and leave and they leave such rotten stench it's just so oh, no. annoying but other than that I, i'm sure they're uh, fine creatures mm-hmm. anyway um my new buddy the actor russell crowe declared in a tweet recently nice. label lost in bangkok number three it came days after the kiwi actor gave some love to another much maligned bangkok trait that we're also kind of proud of their chaotic bundles of overhead wiring yeah we we have that everywhere really in southeast asia don't we so although he did not indicate where it was shot it's probably a safe assumption that he was traipsing through lumpini park which is teeming with giant hia as they're called locally <laughs> Why are you laughing? Is that, isn't that oh, how sorry. it's pronounced? No, it is. But I just remember <laughs> that like, he is actually like a, an insult that you say to people. Like you would call oh, people like, like a water lizard. Like that is an insult. And now I'm screaming. I just remembered. <laughs> anyway, let's move on from Russell Crowe and his he buddy. <laughs> and of course, from lizards, we move over to Hong Kong, where there's a viral video showing a toddler dangling out of an apartment window in Lam Tin was rescued when his family members were alerted to the runaway child from the screams of frantic residents downstairs. Oh my god. I know. Of course, the video went viral on the internet and in it, it showed three-year-old wearing only a diaper dangling outside a fourth-floor window in Hington Estate. And in the minute-long clip, a woman is seen hauling the child up as he struggles. The boy's grandmother told HKO1 that she was scared to death. Um, her grandson was lying in bed, she said, when he is believed to have climbed out of the window by wriggling through the window grills. But those things are, like, narrow. How? Yeah, dude, so I'm like, what? Damn, kid. Oh, actually, you can see, you can kind of see, if you look at the photo, mm. you can kind of see that the gap there is pretty, it's big enough if, they, if he goes through, like, the middle part. Oh, yeah, shit. Go click into this article and go look at it for yourself. Um, there is indeed a kind of gap over there that a small child, a small child might climb through. So, big oof. Um, yeah, and the mother and grandmother only realized the boy's predicament when they heard screams from outside where residents downstairs were trying to get their attention. That's what prompted them to rush into the room and, you know, they managed to bring the toddler back to safety, thank God. Uh, the grandmother also said that the boy suffers from developmental delays and does not yet know how to speak, so he didn't yell for help. 
Nobody was arrested in the incident either, but the tallest 36-year-old mother was given a verbal warning. The family says they'll get their window grills secured to prevent another accident in the future, according to HK01. Ooh, thank Not God. Damn, like, yeah, man. But like, if you were a passerby, would you flip, take out your phone and film this? Fucking no, dude. I'll be finding top or some shit. Use myself as a human cushion. I don't know, but yeah. Who the hell took yeah. this photo? I need to clock you in the head a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, like, what would you achieve? Okay, go. you can go viral, but it's not you. It's some... If, if like the worst thing happens here, then it's a kid getting splashed on the floor, you know? Mm-hmm. And you don't want that in your phone unless you're some sick mm-hmm. bastard. Exactly. exactly. Like you said, get a tarp or like just mm-hmm. look away. Like what I would do because I'm, a, yeah. <laughs> ah, people are weird. Yeah. Anyway, good to know he's safe. Well, let's move on to another uh, disturbing viral video, but this time for other reasons in Jakarta. A man was caught on camera stalking a woman and then ejaculating on her motorcycle. Oh, Lord. So, as we noted, sexual harassment unfortunately comes in many different forms. And a young woman in South Jakarta recently had to deal with an alleged stalker ejaculating on her motorbike with a disturbing incident caught on camera. So the victim, identified as an 18-year-old woman with the initial B, told local media outlets that she was stalked by the unidentified man over last weekend. And the incident, uh, it, it occurred on Saturday night when B was driving her motorbike home from her cousin's house. As she was cru- cruising through an empty and dark road, she noticed that a man on a motorbike was following her. And so she sped up to try to shake him off, but failed. And she also pointed out that the man didn't even have his headlights on hallmark stalker behavior so she uh, quoting her she said when i pulled over the perpetrator the perpetrator also stopped i looked behind towards him but he was uh looking around as if pretending to look at the houses in the neighborhood she said so then the woman parked her motorbike in front of her house and quickly went inside out of fear by which point the man moved closer to her vehicle From a CCTV footage that has gone viral online, the man is then seen masturbating and ejaculating on the seat of B's motorbike before fleeing the scene several minutes later. Oh, shit. What an asshole. Mm -hmm. So uh, towards the end of the video, we also see a distraught B, the woman going outside to inspect her vehicle, noticing fluid on the seat. At first, she thought it might have been yogurt, thinking that the man from before might have been some kind of trickster or prankster. So she leaned over closer and smelled the fluid to be sure, as the recording also showed. So, and then quoting her again, I got into my house, then I screamed. I cried there because I was shocked. I said to my mother, mom, please take a look at my motorcycle seat. Is that really semen? Apparently it was. And when we checked it outside, and it was already a bit runny. He said, I mean, pretty descriptive language, but, you know, it, it, it does Gross. pretty much sound like semen. Um, and she said she was traumatized by the incident, having lost her appetite in the, since the uh, incident. And she said she's been crying so much that she's had difficulty sleeping and was afraid of leaving her house. Oh, poor thing. So, uh, yeah, the police have not caught this dude yet. Boo! Boo, boo, boo. God damn I'll it. I'll probably burn that motorbike. 
and I don't know, I hope she has insurance and get a new one. I will burn the guy next, and that will be completely justified. Just saying, when we say men are trash, this who we talking about? Thank you so much. Word. Little shit. <laughs> Over in KL, the COVID tracing app was hacked to rickroll Malaysians and send send spam emails. Oh God, not him. Again in 2021? <laughs> we, uh... uh... So dozens of Malaysians woke up to photos of Rick Astley due to a glitch on the COVID-19 contact tracing app, My Sajatara. So, my God, again, Rick Roll, the second you wake up, that's like vicious. <laughs> we are the government agency running the app said that they have traced the issue to malicious scripts on the platform and were working to improve its cybersecurity measures. Lumba Pantai, member of parliament, Fami Fadzil, was among those who received either texts or emails containing a photo of the English singer-songwriter taken off his Never Gonna Give You Up music video, because of course. And of course, the accompanying message said, Dear user, thank you for reaching out to my Sajatara help desk. We have received your email and confirmed your details as below. Rick Roller. Okay, nice. That's pretty amazing. Right? But also not all unsolicited messages and emails came with a photo. Others contain numerical one-time passwords or OTPs, asking users to utilize the check-in feature before it expires. The MySajatara team has investigated and found that the check-in QR registration feature meant for business premises was misused by some malicious scripts to send OTPs to random phone numbers, according to a statement by MySajatara. Without addressing the troll emails that some have received, uh, malicious scripts are often added by hackers to a compromised website, one of the emails also said, you've tested positive for COVID. Nah, joking. Uh, plenty of exploits to show Twitter search OTP. Wow. Wow, that's just pure assholery. Absolutely. Please like, don't hack us, dude. Yeah, dude, at first the Rick Rowley shit was kind of funny, but this is just like, come on, man. In a time of heightened alerts and anxiety. Come on, man. So my Sajatara is actually Malaysia's COVID-19 contact tracing app that enables users to check COVID-19 statistics, report their whereabouts, and show proof of their vaccination. So yeah, it, it must, you know, hurt to see that, yes, you've tested positive for COVID and then realize that it's a troll, then yeah, come on, man. Not now. Again, probably a little too soon. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so over to Manila, where 6,000 bats were seized from illegal poachers during a raid in Bulacan. So the bats were seized from four suspected wildlife poachers in the protected area of Biakna Bato National Park in Bulacan in an effort to save the remaining biodiversity. According to Paquito Moreno Jr., Executive Director of Department of Environmental and Natural Resources, DENR, in central Luzon, the agency, along with the Community Environment and Natural Resources, also known as SENRO, uh, their office in Baliwag, the Philippine National Police, and the National Anti-Illegal Logging Task Force in Piaknabato National Park, saw the four suspected poachers gathering the animals. The 6,000 bats are reportedly worth over 90,000 pesos, Moreno said. And authorities arrested Rolando Santiago, 40, Renante Donito Gonzalez, 44, Reggie Manjanas, 28, and Ronald Santiago, 39, all of whom are residents of Barangay Biakna Bato in San Miguel, Bulacan. Moreno said that wrinkly-lipped bats are classified as vulnerable species under the DENR administrative order or the updated national list of threatened Philippine fauna and their categories. 
So they, uh, the DENRs filed criminal charges against the suspects, and they may get a penalty of a maximum fine of 500,000 pesos and a maximum of six years imprisonment. About 100 bats were released back into the wild, while the dead bats were immediately buried to prevent the possible spread of infection and zoonotic disease. So yeah, no COVID-21 from here, from this thing, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with bats, man. Come on. You yeah, dude. And over in Singapore. Oh, oh Lord, it stinks in here. Sexploitation, shady dealings are among serious new allegations against Night Owl Cinematics, Silga Chan. Mm, this woman. Mm. Also an unremarkable name. The same. <laughs> um, we That's all have not- a lot to say it say about this person. Um, she's been accused of a lot of stuff recently. You know, just when it seemed like the curtain had fallen on the saga involving this YouTube channel, Night Owl Cinematics, and its co-founder, a trove of new accusations have been leveled against her, including that she offered sex with a vulnerable woman for personal gain. Wow, a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, and it was said very casually because what had happened, um, for those who don't know, is that a group of current and ex-employees from Night Owl Cinematics came together to publish this blog. The URL is in the silence with two e's.blogspot.com. Thank you so much. And it's a long read with a lot of accusations, you know, including that, you know, she apparently allegedly embezzled company funds to pay for the house that she's living in, amongst others. Ooh. So let's, let's think about this. Like, there's, there's just a lot. So let's try to break it down. But yeah, Silva Chan, who is 33 years old, is now accused of misusing company funds and manipulating a subordinate into a sexual encounter in order to seal a business deal. And if you read the blog, um, you will see that she started a side business selling chili. And she this was allegedly in order to get a delivery service to, deli- to deliver this chili product for her. So, Jesus. Exactly. Um, so yeah, while the first allegations came, came through Instagram, it is spicy. The new charges were detailed in this blog set up by people. Yeah, so we cannot confirm. We cannot independently confirm any of these, but if true, it would be shocking. It published more of what was said to be Chan's text messages and clips from internal Zoom calls, including one in which co-founder and ex-husband Ryan Tan confronted her about her unprofessional behavior. You should go read this, like, but also get some tea before, before you know. It's a long read. Yep, 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 I will. Yep, yep. So according to the blog, it says, we would like to put out a disclaimer that we have exhausted all means of trying to get our voices heard by NOC by talking to key members of the management team as appointed by Sylvia, such as Sylvia herself, her accountant, her lawyers. We don't understand why the lawyers are involving themselves directly, but we tried to. And more, but to no avail, according to the blog page. Okay. So Chan previously owned up to allegations of abusive behavior in the workplace, such as her indiscriminate use of expletives and a habit of trash-talking talents, and said she regretted not creating a feedback channel. Uh, Chan, who did not comment on suggestions that she had cheated on her husband when they were in a high-profile marriage, announced that she would no longer appear in NOC videos but retain her title as co-founder. Oh my gosh! Then the blog goes on to say, although Sylvia has uh, has issued an apology statement on her Instagram page, the only consequence that she meted out for herself was to be removed from its talent roster. However, Sylvia is still the CEO of NOC and the incidents mentioned are only from the people who have spoken up with many more untold stories behind the scenes. And the page also uh, said that Sylvia Chan was no longer morally competent this blog also went live hours after an article on Mashare News revealed how employees were warned in writing by Chan not to disclose company matters on October 11. 
days after the anonymous Instagram allegations first surfaced. And it also reported that 54 staff members quit during the past year. Holy shit. Exactly. So she's like Ellen. Mm, okay, sure. But, um, not, but probably uh, worse in, in terms yeah. of more moral incompetence. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the knockoff version that you try to get um, maybe from a street or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Of course, one of the most chilling accusations that was, I don't know, we've just like breezed past this. Um, is that, you know, she was using NOC resources to pursue other business ventures, such as a brand of chili sauce and masks. So Damn. it alleges that she made the shady deal with the founder of an unnamed local career service for her chili sauce product by offering him sex with an NOC YouTube host identified only as Talent A in the blog. Oh my God. This is shocking, if true, of course. Um, in the blog, it says it was pur- uh, purportedly planned during a period of time where Talent A was at a vulnerable point in her life and mentioned that Sylvia was continually convincing them to go out and have a night of fun. During the meeting, Talent A had no idea that there was an underlying agenda to the meeting. And eventually, after a few drinks, Talent A was intoxicated and performed sexual intercourse with the founder of the company. The blog also said that she had spent nearly 80,000 Singapore dollars of company money on personal expenses, including her own rent from March to June alone. And a copy of the league tenancy agreement named Night Owl Cinematics as the tenant for a space that she had lived in prior to moving into a shop house office with her brother, Sikin Chan, who is accused of taking a company salary without doing any work. A copy of the payslip showed that he has, he had earned 3,000 to 4,500 Singapore dollars a month then the blog also alleges that from Sakin's payslips, uh, his monthly salary of $4,500 is still going on until today. There and you is know, so much here. Oh my God. I know. And there's and freaking said, more. And you said she's still CEO? Absolutely. Yeah. So she hasn't stepped down. She has just removed herself as, you know, one of the talents the talent. available. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Was she was she an engaging talent though? Like, did you watch her videos? Not at all. No, it's not my thing, but it's it's a very popular channel in Singapore. So... They reviewed food and stuff like this. Very Singaporean references. So yeah, they even hung out with uh, BuzzFeed's Stephen Lim when he came to Singapore. So oh, yeah, right. not bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As well, there's just so many accusations. Because um, right, besides um, text messages, like screenshots of WhatsApp messages, if they're, if they're real, maybe they are. I don't know. There's also video evidence, like apparently taken from their internal Zoom calls. Like somebody has screen recorded the whole thing. And it showed her being disinterested in uh, all the constants brought up. It's very hard to watch as well because I'm stalking this thing. Um, I'm very interested as are many Singaporeans. Um, I guess within one night, the videos on the page kind of had 100,000 views. So everyone's watching. Yeah. Yep. And there are more accusations that she did indeed cheat on her husband when they were married. Um, it also published a video of what appeared to be her taking employees through a sexual harassment survey in light of accusations against influencer Dikosh, who they had worked with laughing through questions like whether they experience unwanted touching in the workplace. So there's video evidence of this. And though she wasn't named directly, influencer Pretty Naya, aka Pretty Please, love her. She was apparently fat shamed by Sylvia and called a rhinoceros by Chan in private text messages, to which the former responded um, with a rhino emoji and the words, Sylvia can go and eat shit <laughs> as well. Um, you know, yeah, if you ever want to get her merch, uh, she's now doing a promo code where you can put Rhino for free shipping. So if you'd like to do that. Oh, wonderful. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I smell cancellation in the air for uh, one Sylvia Chan. Absolutely. If like, you know. Has I she been cancelled? I don't know. Because like, I, I'm sure like brands are trying to, you know, not touch this with a 10 foot pole. But who knows? Um, 
yes, obviously, you know, if, if, if the accusations of her pimping out her talents, that's some of this stuff might be criminal. Mm. So yeah, there are a lot of opinions online. Um, it might be hard to kind of salvage your face right now because uh, when the first allegations came out, you know, that she was slash shaming her own staff in messages, she actually sent out a lawyer's letter, allegedly, to some of her employees as well as the person, the anonymous account who published these allegations online. So not a good look. Then now yeah, all the these accusations. Yeah, a horrible boss. At yeah. The at the very least. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there'll be more to this later on. Yep. But now we um, move on to, I guess, people in the entertainment industry who actually are making positive contributions to the world. Yay! Like in Yangon, where's this, where it was, there was this fugitive punk artist who raised 28,000 US dollars to fight the junta with what could be the world's most expensive ukulele. It's really cute, though. It's blue. Oh. We don't often see blue ukuleles with like markings that kind of make it look like um, that guitar from Coco. Oh yeah, that's my what, gosh. That's what first came to mind for me. Hell anyway. yeah. Yeah, so a blue ukulele featuring doodle art by a famed Myanmar uh, punk vocalist sold at an auction for uh, $27,500 US dollars to raise money for the anti-junta movement. Big bag frontman Han Tu Lin a.k.a. Kiara Park, had hoped to raise at least $1,000. Oh, my God. He got, like, do the math here, um, 27.5 times more. Yeah? Ooh, sure, sure. Trust you on that. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, so he hoped to raise at least $1,000 with his custom-painted instrument for the National Un Unity Government. Instead, he was surprised to see it go for much higher, 27.5 times more, in the online auction to support the so-called Spring Revolution. Congratulations to the brother who won the highest bid. Thank you for your generosity and appreciation for the art and the nation. Thank you to all the bidders for raising the price step by step. I am planning to send it along with my handwritten, hand-drawn postcard individually, he said after the auction. That makes it the ukulele, the world's most expensive since one made in 1930 by a famed musician sold for $26,000 in 2006, according to the internet. And we know the internet always, it never lies. Anyway, mm -hmm. it's, cute, who, it's very cute. My goodness, I want it, but not for a Maybe for a thousand dollars, I'd go for it. Anyway, Char Park, <laughs> who's been creating doodle art for several years, has been in hiding since the junta ordered his arrest for selling works to fund armed resistance to military rule. Last year, he released the album Cinematicus. To check that out and support him and other artists who are in the struggle to fight against tyranny. Mm-hmm. And our guest for this week, we talk with climatologist slash oceanographer Intan Suchi Nuhati and actor Paul Foster about, of course, a very um, timely topic. It's about excessive online shopping and plastic consumption. And the disrupted forces they contribute towards. Okay, let's get right into it. Hi, Paul. Hi, Anton. Thank you guys so much for doing this. You're welcome. Good morning. Nice to see you. And uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. It will. It will. <laughs> Hi, Anton. Hi, Summer. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much. So yes, let's get right into it, Anton. What does yeah. a paleoclimate scientist and oceanographer like yourself do? 
<laughs> yes, uh, I actually I travel back in time. So I I study the climate, but sometimes we don't have the data where we need the data and when we need the data. So what do we do? We go travel back in time. Uh, and I do that by actually asking environments. I'm, I ask trees, I ask corals, uh, what have you guys witnessing over the past decades or so? So there actually, there are a lot of history books of our oceans telling us what have human done, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, how warm the ocean has been warming and stuff. So by travel, traveling back in time, I can tell what are the changes and what kind of changes we need to make to reverse all these uh, bad changes. I think that's the best answer I've heard <laughs> to your question. Like, that's, that is a solid, solid answer. In <laughs> in a tree? That's amazing. Yeah. We have yeah. biographies of people who ask the trees for their biographies. And yeah. I want a signed copy. <laughs> What's your Facebook update, tree? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. I'm subscribing. I'm following you on Twitter, my tree. I love that. <laughs> and on to you, Paul. Good, sir. For our audience yeah. outside of Singapore, what might we have seen you in? Uh, outside of Singapore, well, I've done a lot of travel shows for mm. Channel News Asia. Um, so, what is this like special delivery? I know that's been making its rounds around the world. Uh, another travel show or slash variety shows like No Sleep No FOMO on View, uh, but that's also been subsequently bought up by uh, Discovery. So that's been showing on Discovery a lot. So that's been making its rounds as well. Um, yeah, and I, I think. I guess what you're alluding to as well is probably Singapore Social because <laughs> that was on Netflix. So there's, I guess a lot of people have um, been able to see that because the access for Netflix obviously is um, really touch of the button, um, you know, global audience. So yeah, I, I mean, those are just three shows of recent times that I could uh, kind of roll out. And I guess we did all that before the pandemic hit because obviously now uh, we're very restricted on... Um, what I can film at least internationally or regionally. Mm, right. So, of course, the commonality, elephant in the room. We're going to talk about something very special. It's Planet Possible Day. Very cool name. Um, could you guys tell us all about that? Intan, you want to go first? Yes. Uh, it's uh, We start by communicating, right? We try to inspire and communicate. Uh, and to make planet possible, we have to basically talk to different kinds of expertise. So I'm a scientist, so I know a whole lot about how our Earth has been doing and what we need to do. And uh, I'm collaborating with Paul. Uh, he's a change maker. He's doing a lot of work on the grassroots. And this is just one of examples how we can uh, start the conversations and really inspire and learn from each other's uh, what have we done. Uh, it could be small, it could be big steps, but the point is everybody has to uh, chip in that we can make this planet possible if we have uh, we, we live lightly. We just have a smaller carbon footprint, a smaller uh, footprint for, uh, for example, plastic into the ocean and stuff. So, But we can do this by start learning, inspiring each other. How about you, yeah. Paul? Yeah, so... Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of brought it together already. We, what we're doing is we're having a dialogue and we're opening up a conversation. And the driving for this conversation is between change makers like myself and Nat Geo explorers like Intan. So we have the real pros, the scientists, uh, the doctors, uh, the, the people who are doing a lot of things uh, from a higher level, uh, maybe from a top-down approach. And then you've got the change makers like myself and uh, Antoinette from the Philippines who, as Intan mentioned, we're more grassroots. We're kind of doing things, um, you know, on a, on a social level. 
at home in our own lives, trying to maybe use our platform to inspire everyone else to kind of be a little bit more green. You know, what we do when we when we when we live this life and we try to lead by example um, with action is hopefully educating, creating awareness, and inspiring others to you know kind of pick up these these good positive habits. So. I really love what 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 they've done this year with going with Planet Possible because they want to be they want to have a very positive you know connotation of what we can all do together to to make things possible. You know, it's not impossible. <laughs> we we need to just tip the the, the scales back in balance um, for Mother Nature. So I think with a collective effort from everyone, we can do that. Absolutely. And of course, the grassroots um, kind of efforts is definitely as important as you know, uh, like you said, the higher level of experts as we do. Uh, one of our focuses today is on excessive online shopping, which honestly <laughs> hits close to home. You know, as a Singaporean, I'm like, this should be a national sport. Um, <laughs> in that case, right, I'm going to put you guys both on the spot. Could you care to reveal your online shopping habits, if any? Wow. Mm. <laughs> wow. Well, coincidentally, actually, I just hosted a, a Lazada Live yesterday for Timberland. Nice. Coincidentally. So I think I was you know, on the other side of the table yesterday where I was like, okay, guys, bye. You got this discount. we got this promo. we got this voucher, this new arrival. Look at this shirt. It's me. But the good thing is at least Timberland, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to be as sustainable as possible. So they use like organic cotton. They use the rebottle technology. So 50% recycled plastics, all these little things that they added to their product. So it's, it's a good thing. But um, I think for me, since I'm talking now first, um, I don't buy too much online, to be honest. Um, I'm a guy that actually even loves to go to the supermarket. I've always loved going to the supermarket and just buying, you know, my food like that way. Um, just because I love walking down the aisles. I love the tangible feel of, oh, look, okay, this orange feels good. This avocado soft. Yes, it's ripe. These bananas are like in between. I can have a couple like in the next couple of days and then the rest will kind of ride out throughout the week. Things like that, right? Or your leafy vegetables. You want to make sure that they're fresh and green. Um, I try to support local as much as possible when possible. Um, but having said that too, uh, for example, my girlfriend who I live with, she, she loves to order groceries online because she's never really had a car. It was easier for her to just order and get everything delivered, you know, at the end of every other week or for, you know, whenever it is, things are getting low, put it into the cart, order it, get it delivered. So we do that, you know, I, I do like, I feel that we do a compromise. We do a co combination compromise. Uh, but in general, I don't really shop too much online. Little bits here and there. But again, I'm, I'm very old school. I like to go out and like <laughs> actually go shopping. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. A compromise. How about you, Intan? What's in your cart online? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, even before the pandemic, we start uh, buying more online because Jakarta is like my chat, you know, it's like traffic. So we try to mm. save time by buying things online. So as uh, personally, I do. Uh, and my habit has been increasing definitely since the pandemic start. But that actually prompted uh, me and my team to, well, I do this. How about other people, right? Uh, and we becoming more concerned because we've been trying to reduce plastic into flowing into the oceans. And the fact that we are probably using more plastics since the pandemic starts raised another issue. So my concern is what if even after the pandemic ends, uh, we still have this huge leftover or extra leftover plastic that we have to deal with. So we actually did a survey. Um, we went out to the field and we check out what's going on in the rivers. And we, lo and behold, we see PPEs, um, 
a lot in the environment. And then we also team up with social scientists and we end up getting the data that a lot of people, more people buying online. So it's about 50% at the beginning of the pandemic. So people buy more uh, to buy groceries as well as to buy online foods, uh, you know, like uh, Gojek or Grab uh, in Indonesia, for example. Uh, but we see interesting that people start buying more foods, uh, more PPEs. So a lot of cleaning supplies these days that people buy. And at the beginning of the pandemic, people actually buy less cosmetics <laughs> because you don't really need a lot of cosmetics these days. Uh, <laughs> so it's an interesting trend that's happening. Uh, less, less clothing, uh, though maybe it's changing right now. But the point is, when we receive package, right, uh, it has additional packaging and packaging this day still means a lot of plastic. We haven't converted that idea fully. So we ask them and they say 90% of the package deliver contains plastics. Definitely tape. Uh, we still use a lot of plastic tapes. I've seen some vendors use uh, recyclable tapes. That's great. But most of the deliveries uh, have plastic tape, uh, plastic wrapping, bubble wrap, and now becoming more of cable ties. Uh, so the idea is, is if you buy online, if I buy online, my plastic becomes probably twice at least, right? Um, and we asked them, do you actually feel that all this plastic make you safer, uh, more safe from COVID-19? They actually say, no, we can always wash things. Uh, and then, yeah, so it's something that we need to keep in mind. Uh, we do need to survive. We try to do what we can do. But the key is in our choice, right? What, Like I said, some vendors have done really great, like no plastic at all from packaging, from mm. uh, the content or biodegradable plastics. I know one of my friends um, out of boredom, uh, he, she, she wanted to create things to do for, his, uh, for, for her parents. They start delivering foods and what they deliver has no plastic. So you can do this. So I think this is just a small example that I know it's happening el elsewhere that it returns to us. It's uh, how we want to choose, which one we want to choose. Yeah, yeah consumers. Consumers are so important, right? We're, we're the ah. end point. We, we are the ones that we can make um, a lot of decisions, who to support, who to buy from, how do we purchase. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's a very key factor of, of this rethink mindset, right? Trying to get people to be aware and understand what's happening and, and be able to make really effective, positive, educated choices, knowing that you can make a difference. Yeah, that, that's really important. Oh, yeah. Um, especially since, I guess, Southeast Asia, especially Indonesia, unfortunately, um, is a major contributor to plastic waste. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do we think there's a cultural reason maybe uh, that Southeast Asia is so heavily dependent on plastic products? Well, one thing for sure is is potable water, right? Mm. If you if okay, this is this is the biggest thing basically. We there's, there's many countries in Asia where you can't drink water out of the tap, mm. so we already rely on bottled water. I mean, Indonesia is a perfect example of that. So whereas in Singapore we're so lucky, we can drink water out of the tap. So I've I've always believed we do not need plastic bottled water here in Singapore because. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's redundant, right? That, that's now consumerism. That's what I'm saying. Consumers here can have a choice. They can actually eff effectively be like, you know what? We don't want to buy bottled water anymore because we want to save the environment. We can just, you know, if you don't like the taste of water from your tap, okay, buy a filter. Filter the water out you, at least and, and that's it. Indonesia, for example, is one country because Intan's from there and she sees it a lot and she experiences it on a daily, on a daily um, you know, level in her lifestyle even. 
you you have to buy a bottle of water. You have to because mm. you need to drink from there. Um, also, if you even just take industry, right? How cheap is it for industry to produce um, goods on manufacturing on every level? Asia is cheap, much cheaper than a lot of uh, other countries, right, or other continents. So oh, yeah. if you look at it, if you look at it that way, you know that. <laughs> Already. So when you've got manufacturing industry at the scale that it is in Indonesia and in China and Vietnam and Philippines, you know, those levels, it's like inevitably there's going to be more pollution coming into our rivers, which then again, ultimately, unfortunately, get into our oceans. So I think there's a few things that you said culturally, socially, politically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, you know, and, and, and just industry wise. And this has been a cumulative process, right? This is not just something that's happened now. This has been happening for decades. And because of that, it's all come to the point where we're now, all of us are here talking about this topic. Mm-hmm. This is like, wow, we, you know, we need to do something, really do something now. And this is what these conversations are all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for Intan, um, this question is for you because we want to talk about maybe some of the instances of plastic waste kind of disrupting marine ecosystems. Have you witnessed any of those personally? On online, we've seen all these pictures. Yeah, of course, everybody's on on social media have seen it online. You know, all these uh, turtle pictures and all the stuff. Uh, I myself, since I uh, when I become a scientist uh, in my scientist role, I go out to remote islands, and we've seen these issues. Uh, you know, you go so far, far away, and then. Uh, you see in beautiful coral reef, but then you go to the market and it's a huge, just floating uh, plastic stuff. And of course, this is a huge issue in terms of management because, you know, if we see this in Jakarta, we have this facility to transform the plastic or uh, make it into something else, right? We, we know how to process them. At least we have the facility. But in remote islands, it becomes another issue. So we, we need to be creative then how we should solve it. Because the idea of just uh, compiling all the plastic uh, waste and send it to the nearby big city doesn't make uh, much sense economically. Uh, so yes, I've seen many things, I guess, uh, disturbing, uh, not just plastic, but just, you know, changes in coral reef being bombed and stuff like that. So yeah, um, but let's not go into that side. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I uh, we definitely see it uh, remote or in urban setting, definitely. But it then becomes back to us, all of us, how we come up with creative things. Paul shared with me last time how uh, he turns uh, plastic waste into coaster. And I think ideas like this, ideas that are tied into localities, you know, different locals need different solutions. And definitely through empowerment in, in a lot of smaller, uh, small islands, for example, you see a lot of uh, women who uh, need to be empowered and they can do a lot of job, but they just need to be shown yes. what are available jobs out there. So I think creative things like this uh, is definitely something that we need to explore more. Yeah, and if you want to hear more about that summer in particular, right, you just have to tune in on Sunday because yeah. me and Intan actually really go a little bit deeper into 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 that topic, for example. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Actually, the one thing I'd like to add, Intan, Intan just kind of reminded me as well, like I forgot to mention when on, on your last question where, you know, as well in Singapore, we're very gr- lucky that we have a very eff- effective and efficient waste management system, which a lot of remote communities, like in the remote islands, for example, or even major cities, even still in Asia, don't really have so in Singapore I think we're very very lucky we've got all the things you know for us if we really want to take advantage and, and do things so much better 
So I think sometimes there's just a bit of a gap where maybe we take things for granted and we don't quite um, think and, and, and act in a better way. So mm. we're getting there slowly with, with exactly what we're doing now. I think it's going to help, but um, we need to bridge that gap a little bit more. Absolutely. Totally agree. Like you said, we have the resources. We just aren't doing yes. enough. Mm. Yeah, I think if I can go back to the last question, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Paul mentioned perfectly, but uh, why do you need to buy bottled water when you have good water available? Mm -hmm. And uh, other things we need to keep in mind is how we need to eat, right? Sometimes when we buy foods, uh, it's packaged in styrofoam. And I would definitely highlight that not all plastic uh, have the same sense. <laughs> because of uh, plastic bottles, we can recycle. But styrofoam has no value at all after it's being used. And in mm -hmm. fact, that's what we see in our rivers in Jakarta. We see, uh, well, 59% of stuff that flow into Jakarta Bays are plastic. But mm. what are those plastic? You know, once we scrutinize in each of uh, one of each of the ways, styrofoam was the highest. Why is that? Because it's not valuable. So think again about uh, if it's still using styrofoam, try to change that habit. Uh, if it's using something else more green, uh, then support those vendors, I would say, because they actually right now investing more to provide that kind of service. So if you don't support that, uh, they will lose against the competitions, again, business as usual. So I will definitely touch on that point. And something else about Southeast Asia, you know, this is something that my dad has been saying even before I work on this issue. Like, why on earth right now we always wrap things in plastic? How about banana leaf that I used to use, you know, when I was a kid? And I, yeah, I experienced that too. And this is something that we need to reverse. It's possible, planet possible. I've seen a lot of uh, movement again in how we not just banana leaf uh, but explore other things like cassava uh, or shrimp and lobsters waste this is something that is very strong in southeast asia and again let's explore this avenues this is my uncle <laughs> I. He, comes and, he comes and picks up my he comes and picks up my cardboard uh every other week oh I, I, I pay him in beer so yeah oh. uncle I, thank you <laughs> okay, you take care. Bye bye. <laughs> that was amazing. We got that live, y'all. <laughs> awesome. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have. Um, I could sit here and talk about plastic for hours. But you guys, thank you guys so much for this. Um, uh, we've learned thank so you. much. I guess can we end with? Could you tell the people where can we see Planet Possible Day? It's a live event. It's on Sunday, the 24th at 6 p.m. It'll run for a couple of hours. And like we mentioned at the, at the start of this, it's gonna be a whole bunch of awesome Net Geo explorers and a whole bunch of change makers getting together and just having conversations. Wonderful. We'll tune in. Thank you guys so much for doing this. This was so fun. And yeah, have a great day and keep Thank doing you. the work. Bye-bye. Thanks, Thanks, Bye. Thanks, Well, that was a fun interview. Learned a lot. Um, yeah. yeah we got what, what, what did you learn? How can we... So I'll do our part, little parts to save the world. I mean, everything, um, how to say less is more. That might be the moral of the story. I'm trying mm -hmm, to find mm -hmm. one specific lesson. Um, yeah. Do you really need the damn thing when there's a sale, when the month and the, uh, the day line up, there's a freaking sale. Um, but do we really need to buy shit? Lead sufficient lives mm -hmm. is uh, basically the, the gist of this. Absolutely. Yes. Do you know what I, what I would like though? What? My own recycling uncle. 
Yeah, that did seem cool. And yeah, it was just nice that while we're talking about recycling, and then, you know, Paul Foster does have a recycling uncle pulling up outside his house where he paid him with beer. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. The timing, the timing of that is just impeccable. The stars aligned mm-hmm. for that moment. But yeah, that'd be great if, if we had people actually just going around asking for bottles. Mm. So yeah, you can catch the live event for Planet Possible Day on October 24th at 6 p.m. Singapore time on National Geographic Asia's Facebook page. So yeah, head on down. Ooh. Yay. And on that note, I guess it's time for us to say goodbye for this week. Yes. Goodbye. See you later. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories, you can become a CocoPlus member at coconuts.co slash membership, make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron, or buy our fresh merch at the Coconut Shop at shop.coconuts.co. Need something to go on your head? How about your wall? We've just dropped some limited edition exclusive merch for our 10th anniversary. Check them out at shop.coconuts.co. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by a journalist on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small, designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Summer Lee and Andre Nasri. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortes and our editor is Paul Medina.